Matthew 6, 25 through 34. This is number eight in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to wrap these all up the week before Palm Sunday. And so we're, we're nearly at the end of chapter six now. And uh, just a reminder where we've been as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount. To me, as I go back looking at the list, it's astounding how much information we've gotten already. But we started off with the Beatitudes and then talked about being salt and light in this world. We had a long section on the law and its intensification, this idea that the law drives us to the cross, asking for Jesus' mercy. There's a section on non-retribution, which involves loving your enemies and not returning violence with violence or hatred. There's a section on private spirituality, so that our giving and our prayer and our spiritual practices are done for ourselves only and with God as the object, not the object of impressing other people. And last week was about wealth and possessions. Uh, and so, I'll, as I said to a few people, you know, I preach to myself. And last week I said, you know, how sometimes it's a little dangerous to always be watching your stock portfolio every day because you can't control what goes up or down and you just have to trust God and it's going to be okay. And then the next day, like, there was a plummet in the stock market and it has actually continued all week and who knows what Monday will bring. And so I had to actually practice what I preach, and I hate doing that because I would much rather preach and not practice, but I, I have to, this week I've had to be like, gosh, I guess that was for me too, and I, that's actually how all the sermons are, um, is often I'll find myself, and not just from last week, but often I'll find myself on a Sunday afternoon going, wow. Not that it was great, I'm not saying that, but wow, like, gosh, I better listen to myself. And, and follow what I just said, because it was, it was from the gospel. It was from the word. And the word's powerful. It has this powerful ability for us. So today, we're going to be looking in general terms about how a life of discipleship is protection against a particular kind of worry. Okay, I'm going to say that again just so that we prepare ourselves. A life of discipleship is a protection against a particular kind of of worry. And I want you to pay attention to figure out what that worry is as we go to our reading. And so, of course, I left my glasses right there. I'll be right back. Let's look at our reading. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Jesus speaking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And amen exactly to that last one right there. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to notice what that particular worry was that Jesus is talking about here because there's different kinds of worries and we're going to talk about a few others of them. But this was a particular type of worry and it has to do with the basic necessities of life and it has to do with the future, about tomorrow. And that worry about tomorrow is probably in the context of these other things that he mentioned, your food, your clothing, your, what you're going to drink. Um, and so that's what he's talking about here. And I want to make sure we get that, right? He's not talking about every anxiety. He's not talking about every worry. He's not talking about worry as a whole general category, saying that you should not worry about things, because that's not what he's saying. And I sometimes have met a few Christians who said to worry is to sin because it means you're not trusting in something. And I want to make sure that we reject that understanding. That's not correct. He's here talking about what you eat, what you drink, and what you're going to wear. And it's in the context of discipleship. It's in the context of him going to Jerusalem with his disciples. And so we can narrow that down a lot. There's other kinds of worries that I'm going to talk about now that I think are legitimate, but they require a little bit of balance in life. So I'll give you an example. Um, there is a certain kind of worry that I would actually call concern because we want things to go well for other people or for ourselves, okay? Um, and so I'm going to give you an example, and that would be my mother who's gone now, but she used to worry about us. You know, she, she would even say that, I worry about you guys, and she would worry about how we were doing health-wise, she would worry about how we were doing in our work and things like that. And then sometimes, and this was funny to us, because she would worry about whether... In a, in a crass way of saying she was worried that I was saved or not, you know, and it kind of, you know, like, and, and Krista and I were like, your son's a pastor. Like, we think he's got, we think he's got, I mean, maybe he doesn't, right? You know, he could be a total fraud, but he's a pastor. Don't forget your son's a pastor. He's, he's probably going to make it into heaven. You know, we, we, you know, fingers crossed. It's up to Jesus, not to me, but you know, so that, is that a little irrational? Well, no, I, I mean, it's just mom stuff. It's, it's a parent stuff. We want things to go well for our children. That is not wrong. That is good, okay? I said to my mom, I said, Mama, don't worry. She said, I, it would be easier for me to die than stop worrying. In fact, that's the only way I'm going to stop worrying is, I'm gonna, is when I die. And so she's done worrying, praise God. No more anxiety for my mother. She's in a much better place, and I really mean that. Um, there is a problem when it paralyzes us so much that we don't live our own right? My mother also, in spite of all the worry she had for her four children, she still had to have her own life. She couldn't live her life through us. Her ups couldn't be up because things were up for us. Her downs couldn't be down because things were down for us. She had to have her own life, and as far as I could tell, she actually did, which is great. So it was really funny because we, we had a memorial service for her after she died, and people came up and spoke, and they told us about things that she was doing that we had no idea of which was great. Like somebody came and said, your mom taught me, six months before your mom died, she taught me how to sew. 
And we're like, when did that, you know? <laughs> so we don't manage her schedule. We didn't know what she was doing. But it showed that she did have a life outside of worrying for us. So that was good, right? But it's out of balance when we're paralyzed with worry for our children, for other people, for outcomes that we really can't control. We should have a regular amount of concern about those things. We should check in on those things. We should exert influence where we can, where it's appropriate. And so that, that's that kind of worry that my mom said, I think that's okay. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Those aren't the worries quite that he's talking about here. I always come back to this image on the airplane. You know, when they go through the, the flight check and the seatbelts and where all the exits are, and then they say, the oxygen mask is going to come down. And do you know what you're supposed to do? Put your own mask on first. And I always still, to me, is like, but what about the poor little kid next to you? You've got to take care of that little, you know, that little kid. But it's logical, right? It's better to have one person be deprived of oxygen for a short time than have two people be deprived of it for a long time. This all makes sense, right? We all get this. But that oxygen mask is true in life, too. You can definitely be concerned about other people, but if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not taking care of what makes you whole and well, your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, your own personal, physical health, then you can't be an asset to these other people. You cannot help them. Um, you know, there are some people, I think, and I've met them, that they are all about helping other people all the time. And you can do that for a short time, for an intense burst. You can take care of other people and you can ignore your own needs. But if you live that way all the time, it's not sustainable. Something's going to break down somewhere along the way. And you'll be of less help to people in the long run that way. But this isn't the kind of worry that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the day-to-day -day things. He's talking about it in context of discipleship. And before I go on and talk about that, I want to talk another kind, of, one other kind of worry. And that would be anxiety. And I really want to make this clear that there are kinds of worries that we have that we would put in the category of anxiety. And anxiety is this condition where we can't seem to get out of worrying about things. And so I want to give you a list of symptoms that this is what anxiety looks like, anxiety that has kind of gone beyond control. So one of them would be persistent worrying or anxiety about a number of areas that are out of proportion to the impact of the events, right? So we, we blow things out of proportion. Overthinking plans and solutions to all possible worst-case outcomes. Perceiving situations and events as threatening even when they aren't. Difficulty handling uncertainty. Indecisiveness and fear of making the wrong decision. Inability to set aside or let go of a worry. Inability to relax, feeling restless, feeling keyed up or on edge. This is from a website, by the way. I didn't make any of this up. This is the diagnostic for having sort of chronic anxiety. Difficulty concentrating or the feeling that your mind goes blank. And there's more, but that's the list. This is a clinical thing. And I want to be sure that we know that this is not a sin. This is not what Jesus is talking about here. This is not a sign that you have a deficient faith. It doesn't mean that you're not a good disciple. If you said yes to several of these things, it may mean that you or me, and sometimes I actually see myself on this list, that we suffer from an anxiety disorder that can be treated. This is a different sort of sphere of life. It can be treated. 
God cares about this condition in us, and he wants us to find relief, and it's a problem that you could seek help for. And so if that's happening, talk to one of your pastors, and we can explore together how to see a way forward from that. So that, I just want to make clear that anxiety as a disorder is not a problem of spiritual deficiency. It's something that you can get help with, and it can happen to anybody. And it probably does happen to almost everybody at various points in life. And for some people, it's an almost constant state of life. And for those people, we need to, to find help so that they can have this whole full life that God wants them to have. Okay, so then what is Jesus talking about? I've told you all the things he's not really talking about. I want to tell you what he is talking about. And again, this is in the context of discipleship. Because on some certain level, you may say to yourself, well, all the things he mentioned are actually sort of non-negotiable. We actually need them. I actually need food to survive. I think, pretty sure, there's some people out there that are called breatharians. And uh, they say that you can get all the nutrients that you want just by taking deep breaths of air. They were on TV for a while. They, 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 were like, they had their 15 minutes, but it was closer to 15 seconds. They're gone now. Um, and I don't think they're gone in the sense that like they died, although if they had kept that up, they would have died. I just think that they probably went to McDonald's after a while because they were super hungry. But they're like, if you just breathe in enough, you'll get all the nutrients from the air. No. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not going to go any further than just saying, no, that doesn't work. You need food. You know the, the rule of threes? You can survive for three minutes without air. You can survive three days without water, maybe. You can survive three weeks without food, barely, okay? You need all these things. If you don't have them, you're going to die. And if you live outside or if you live, I mean, we don't live, you need clothes. You, know, you need clothes. You need clothes to stay warm. You need clothes to protect yourself from the environment. So what is Jesus saying here? You don't really need those things or you shouldn't worry about those things? He's not saying you don't need them, but he says don't worry about them, what you'll eat or drink or what you'll wear. So what is he getting at? Well, here's what I think he's getting at. And it's this. Since this is all about discipleship, since he's talking to his disciples and his followers, since he's about to head off towards Jerusalem, since he's headed to save the world, and he's going to bring a lot of these people along with him, what he's saying is, on this road, yes, we're going to have some hungry days. Yes, there's going to be some days we're going to be worried about the next well that we find and what water we drink. Your sandals are going to wear out. He's saying, you know what? Those things will probably take care of themselves, or at least they're way lower on the list than the most important thing, which is following me, submitting your life to me, going to the cross with me. What does he say in verse 33? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be given to you as well. At the end, we'll talk about that because that has some implications for us, not just in terms of what we seek, but what we do for others. So if we put first things first, these other things which are important, we have to say they are important, even important things like this will find their place. That's the promise of discipleship too, is that God is concerned about us even if we don't follow him, but especially if we follow him, he will take care of us. He also says that the pagans worry about all these things. 
because that's all that they have in front of them. They don't have a Lord to submit to, to follow. And so they themselves are their Lord. And so, yes, they're going to clothe their Lord. And yes, they're going to feed their Lord. They care about all these things to excess. But he says, don't be like them. Follow me and don't worry about these things. Here's another argument that he makes, which I think is beautiful. And I like that Brian brought that out in that first, in that first song that we sang. The birds and the flowers are kept alive by God, and they have their own splendor. Isn't that great? It's not just that there's ugly birds. Uh, there's a few ugly birds. If you ask Victoria, they're probably all ugly birds because she doesn't like birds, you know. But there, there's, there are a few ugly birds in this world, I guess. Uh, I'm trying to think of which ones. The ostrich is pretty awful, I think. It's just, I don't know. They're dangerous, too. But the birds in general, they beautiful. Like the hummingbirds. Every day, almost, I see a hummingbird. It's beautiful. What a treat, right? They have their own splendor, and God cares for them. They don't care about what they look like. They don't care what they're wearing. They actually do care about eating because that's all they spend their time doing is like, especially a hummingbird that's just flying around all the time. But yet, they're not responsible for planting flowers that will give them what they need. They, and I'm not going to say they trust, but God gives them what they need. It's just an example. And how much more valuable are you than birds? How much more? How much more valuable are you than flowers and plants and the grass of the field? And so we can't lose sight. We cannot lose sight of the miraculous nature of life itself. This is what God gives us. If he's going to give us this miraculous body that we have, how much more should we trust that he's going to give us what we need to take care of this body? And I want to remind you again, uh, this was a few weeks back. I asked anybody what they, if they knew what the mitochondria was. George did. Jared did. Right? We all, a lot of you, went, if you remember science, you remember the mitochondria. It's this little organelle inside your cells. It produces adenosine triphosphate, ATP. It's this battery of the cells. It makes all of life as we know it possible. God made it in this incredible way. In, in the ways that he makes things. It's completely miraculous. It's completely amazing. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And if God put that much care into making us, how much more will he take care of sustaining us from day to day? He keeps our planet orbiting the sun. He keeps the fusion reaction in the core of our star going every day so that light comes and hits us and warms us up. I mean, there's a million ways in which God is keeping this world running for us. We lay ourselves into his hands, and he holds us and protects us. This is his promise to us. God worries about us more than we can worry about ourselves, I think. God really does. He's a bit like my mom, and my mom wasn't much like God, but a little bit in this one area. I can't stop worrying about you. I can't stop loving you. I can't stop thinking about you. You're my child. I it's who I am. It's in my DNA. God worries about us more than we can worry about ourselves, and he has this great power to hold the universe together. What he asks then, though, is that we love him that we submit our lives to him, that we become the disciples of his son, Jesus. He asks us to use our mitochondria to move around in this world, 
and do his work. He asked for our lungs to breathe and to speak his gospel out there. He asked our hearts to beat for him. Tomorrow has enough trouble for itself. It will be here soon enough. But today, we act and move and breathe doing God's work because we're his disciples. That's all we have to worry about. One last, two last things. And this was a challenge for me. It was a crisis of faith, actually, in seminary. Because I read this passage, and I was reading it with other students at seminary, and we were taking a class on Matthew. And it says this. Um, look at verse 31. Look at that with me. Verse 31. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them very good. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things. These things, I'm assuming, food, drink, and clothing. That's what he's talking about here. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things that you need to live will be given to you as well. And I said to my professor, I said, I don't think that's true. Because objectively, it's not true, is it? Are there people in this world who have been seeking the kingdom and the righteousness with all they have, and yet somehow they have starved to death or died of exposure? Am I, is it possible? Absolutely. It has happened. There's no doubt about it. So I said, how can this be a true promise? What about all those people? I mean, I'm glad I live in a modern country where I have access to food and clothing and all sorts of things like clean water. But what about all these people who have loved you all their lives and they've died of hunger? And I'll never forget, and I'm, this is why he was a seminary professor, because he's like a wise person, you know. He said, who, this is who you want teaching at the seminary. It's good. He said, Hans Eric, God wants to make that promise come true for you. So God wants to keep that promise, but he needs you to do it. He says, you need to feed the world. You need to clothe the world. You need to give the world water. And I was like, that makes sense. Okay, I can get behind that one. I can get behind that one. And, and that solved the problem for me a little bit. But I think inside this promise is always the reminder that God does his work in the world through us, through his people who have claimed to be his disciples. And so yet there's a promise, but there's a responsibility tied up with it. Your responsibility is that this promise be made true for those who aren't experiencing it as true right now. And we're doing that, right? As a church, we're sending money to people who are doing this. I think there's probably other ways, if we're creative, we could be doing this. We can think ahead about how we can do, do this. What does it look like as disciples to, make, to take care of people who have nothing? I think that's important. So that's going to happen. It's going to happen through you and through me.